We will be in Judges tonight. Judges chapter 1. Lord willing, we will make it through the whole book over the next few months. Judges chapter 1. We have gone through the book of Exodus, so we kind of we kind of know how the Israelites got to Egypt and how God delivered them from Egypt. Uh, we've also been through the book of Joshua, so we saw uh, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, Joshua kind of took the reins and eventually led the Israelites into the promised land. Now, they had captured most of the promised land, but there were still some, uh, some inhabitants there that they were to drive out. Now, God had commanded the Israelites when they got into the promised land that they were supposed to completely drive out and do away with the inhabitants of the land. Uh, the Israelites, though, did not listen fully to what God said. Instead, they put up with the inhabitants of the land and allowed some of them to stick around. And it caused Israel lots of problems, as we will see as we go through the book of Judges. Now, in the beginning of the book of Judges here, we kind of have a repeat of some things that we already had talked about in Joshua. Uh, in Joshua's chapter 14, 15, in that range, if you care to go back and read that sometime, uh, you will see some of the very same things that we're seeing here tonight. Uh, now, one thing that we're going to see is we're going to see mention of Joshua's death, uh, and then we're going to see that kind of mentioned again in just a few more, a couple more chapters. Uh, and so this beginning of the, of the book is kind of a, a repeat of itself from what we see of Joshua, and then kind of repeats itself again very briefly, at least in talking about Joshua's death. And then we really begin to get into the period of the judges. Now, as the people were going into the promised land, uh, there was lots of evil that was going on. And God appointed these that we call judges to be uh, over the people of, of Israel. Now, when we use the term judges here in the book of Judges, we're not, uh, we're not talking about a judge uh, like we see in our judicial system today. That is, these were not judges who were wearing black robes and sitting on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a big bench somewhere and people would bring their problems to them and they would judge in that way. Uh, that's not the type of judges that we see here. While there may have been some of that going on, what we really see of the judges in the book of Judges is that they are deliverers because the people of Israel are continually getting into trouble. And so God appoints these deliverers, if we can call them that, uh, and some would say that that would be a better title for this book, the book of deliverance, because that's what we see repeatedly over and over is deliverance of God's people. And so when we read Judges, as we get along in there, we will be introduced to these people. Now some may be more famous or more well-known to you than others. Some may play a little bigger role, but God uses these judges, both men and women, uh, to accomplish the goals that he has in mind, and that is to try to keep his people on track. So that gives you a little overview and a little, a little introduction to the book, uh, and we'll be digging through this book. It's not a terribly long book, uh, at least not in comparison to uh, Exodus, uh, but it will take us a while to go through there. Uh, we will start in chapter 1 tonight, of course, and we will read the first 20 verses, although I must say that, uh, that really the first 20 verses is just, uh, I guess the best way to put it would be of good historical value to us. It repeats some events that goes on, and so there won't be much preaching uh, from these verses tonight, 
but we do need to go through them so we can move forward. We need to know what's going on so we can build upon that. So that's what we will do tonight. We will uh, look at these first few verses. We will see what's going on, and hopefully that will help us to be prepared uh, as to what's going to happen going forward. Now, as we go through this book, we need to learn from what the Israelites uh, did. I think it's very important for us to see their mistakes. Now, we are not Israelites. We are not uh, God's chosen people in that we are a nation in and of ourselves. Uh, but we are God's chosen people in that we are Christians and that we are a holy nation who are followers of God in that we are in Jesus Christ. And so there are valuable lessons to be learned from Israel's past in these verses and chapters that we will look at in the days and months to come. Now, what we will see is that Israel was not obedient to God, and they did not do what they should, and they often paid the price for those type of things. And the same is true for us. Uh, when we are obedient to the Lord, uh, everything goes pretty good, but when we are disobedient to the Lord, uh, oftentimes we find ourselves getting in trouble. Now, that's not to say that if we are walking obedient to the Lord that everything in our life is going to be perfect and we're never going to have any trouble. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. But, but oftentimes it's our sinfulness that gets us into a lot of the troubles that we are in, and that's exactly what we see of the Israelites. So let's pray, and then we will get into the book of Judges. God, we come to you tonight, and I thank you for these words, and I pray that as you read them, you open our heart and help us to be ready uh, for what we're going to study going forward. I pray that we would look at our own lives, dear Lord, as we look at the Israelites and what they do and what they have done up to this point, God, and we can learn from them, and we can learn from their history, dear Lord, so we can have a better future, dear Lord, so we can be faithful to you. I pray that you just lead me as I read and teach through your word tonight, and I pray that we are blessed from it and uh, are able to grow from this study of Judges. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Judges chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites inquired of the Lord, Who will be the first to fight for us against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have handed the land over to him. Judah said to his brother Simeon, Come with me to my territory, and let us fight against the Canaanites. I will also go with you to your territory. So Simeon went with him. Now, Joshua has passed, as we see here in these verses. And Joshua had been a good leader for the people. If you remember from the beginning of the book of Joshua, God told Joshua to be strong and courageous. And indeed, Joshua was. So we see a couple of miraculous events take place in the book of Joshua. And Joshua goes in being faithful to the Lord, and the Lord is with him, and the Lord is with the people of Israel, and they go in and they take the land that God has promised them. And so they are in good shape at this point. Everything is good for them. They just need to continue to stay the course. They need to drive out the remaining inhabitants of the land and fully take on all the land that God has promised them. Now, again, you can go back and read Joshua chapter 13 and 14 and kind of see some of the same stuff and maybe fill in some of the gaps as to exactly what's going on here, but we won't cover that tonight just for time's sake. So the Israelites say, who will go first to fight for us against the Canaanites? Their leader Joshua had gone, so who was going to go with them? And the Lord answered that Judah is to go. 
Now, Judah was to go in and they were to take over the land that they were supposed to get. Now, God told Judah to go, but interestingly enough, we see here that Judah asked Simeon to go. Now, I don't know if, that's a, if, that's a, if that was a wrong thing or not. The text really doesn't tell us much there. Uh, one part of me believes that if God told Judah they should go, that they should have just had the faith to say, Okay, God, we've seen you do a lot of stuff throughout this time that you've brought us into the land so far. We're going to go and we're going to trust you. For whatever reason, Judah saw fit to ask Simeon to go along. Now, whether that was wrong or not, it's hard to say because the text doesn't say. Uh, but they did ask Simeon to go along with them, even though that was not uh, what God had commanded. Now, when we talk about Judah and we talk about Simeon, uh, we're not talking about particular people here. We're talking about tribes of people. We're talking about groups of people. There were 12 tribes of Israel, and they each had certain parts of the land that they were to take and they were to live in. Uh, there were a couple of, uh, of tribes that did not cross over the Jordan or wanted to go back and stay on the other side of the Jordan. You may or may not remember that from Joshua. Uh, but most of the tribes were living in what is modern-day Israel. They all had a section of land throughout there from the bottom to the top of that little area there. And, and they were to go in, uh, and they were to take over their land, and that's what they're doing here. They're saying, who's going to fight? Well, the Lord says Judah's going to fight. They're going to be the ones that's going to go in, and they're going to do what's right, and they're going to drive out their enemies. Now, Judah was pretty good in this sense. Now, pretty good, I say pretty good, in comparison to the rest of the tribes who we will read about moving forward. Judah was pretty good in that they did most of what the Lord said. Now, they did ask for Simeon's help, and we're going to see later on in these verses uh, some other things that might not have been right that they did, at least one thing. Uh, but, but Judah, for the most part, did what the Lord had commanded them to do. So, Judah and Simeon go in to take over the territory that they are supposed to take. In verse 4, When Judah attacked, the Lord handed the Canaanites and Perizzites over to them. They struck down 10,000 men in Bezek. Now, Bezek is, a, is the name of a, of, a, of a town that was there at that time. They found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, found, fought against him, and struck down the Canaanites and Perizzites. Now, here we're introduced to this character, Adonai Bezek, and we don't know much about him other than what we see in these verses here tonight. Uh, he was a pretty bad dude, though, as we're about to see in the coming verses. When Adonabazek uh, fled, they pursued him, seized him, and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Adonabazek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. God has repaid me for what I have done. They brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Now, that's a pretty intense passage about this guy who was, uh, who was apparently some type of king. He was apparently a pretty powerful man if he had 10,000 uh, men under him. And upon catching him, we don't have any backstory except for it says that they captured him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Now, if just reading that verse uh, by itself, we may say, why does, it, why does he do that? But we have the context of that and why they did that and the verse as follows, because uh, Adonabazek realized, he said, look, the Lord is repaying me for what I did. Now, if there were 70 kings, as it said, whose thumbs and toes that he had cut off, obviously he was a powerful man. A king would have been someone powerful. And for him to have 70 kings under his table picking up scraps, uh, missing those, uh, those extremities that he had removed from them, uh, this guy was a pretty evil guy and a guy that had a lot of power. 
Now, what God had commanded the Israelites to do once they came into the land was to destroy the people, was to run them out, was to destroy their kings. We see that, I believe, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, if you want to go read about that, where God gives that command. Obviously, they did not do that here. They did not kill him. Instead, it says what? That they brought him back to Jerusalem. Now, eventually he died there, but here we see that even Judah, who God had said, you were going to be the ones who were going to go in and do the work, even Judah wasn't completely obedient to what God had commanded them to do. Now, we see a similar event happen later on with the first king of the people. After the time of Judges came uh, the time of the kings to begin, and the first king was King Saul. And there was a battle where King Saul was to destroy everything, but he didn't. He took the leader captive of the people, and God punished him for that. And so this is a big deal. When God had commanded his people to do something, he expected them to do it. And here in Judah's case, they did not. Now, they did, they did torture the man, I guess for lack of a better word. It seems pretty torturous what they did. Uh, but they did not completely destroy him. They allowed him to live, and they brought him back to Jerusalem. In verse 8, the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it. They put the city to the sword and set it on fire. Afterward, the men of Judah marched down to fight against the Canaanites who were living in the hill country, the Negev and the Judean foothills. Judah also marched against the Canaanites who were living in Hebron. Hebron was formerly named Kiriath Arba. They struck down Shishai, Ahiman, and Telmai. From there, they marched against the residents of Debir. Debir was formerly named Kiriath Sefer. Now, here we see a very popular place in Scripture. That is Jerusalem. But notice they are attacking, attacking Jerusalem because at this point, Jerusalem was still being inhabited by the people who were living in the land. So Jerusalem was not anything special at this point, uh, but it would become a very prominent city for, for the Scripture moving forward. After all, we see in Revelation that uh, in, in the end, when all is said and done, that there will be a new Jerusalem that will be descending from, from heaven. So Jerusalem is a focal point. It's a key city. It's a prominent place in Scripture. And here we see the Israelites going in and uh, eventually taking control of it after attacking it and burning it down here. And so we are introduced to uh, Jerusalem, which had been there probably for a while. We see in Genesis early on, I believe in chapter, uh, uh, chapter 12, uh, where uh, Abraham goes before a guy by the name of Melchizedek, and it says that he's the king of Salem, which is more than likely Jerusalem. So we see uh, what is quite uh, most possibly uh, a reference to Jerusalem even that early on in the Bible, and here we see Jerusalem mentioned again. Now, the people of the land were there, but now the Israelites uh, were going to take it over. One other thing that's interesting to note that may be uh, significant, uh, more so to the people of old than to us, is the names of the places. Now, the writer of the book here uh, talks about uh, Hebron and talks about the beer. But both of those places, it talks about what they were formerly known as. Now, as I said, this won't be much to us because uh, we don't know these places. 
But whoever the original writer was, the names of the places had obviously been changed. And he knew the writers, or excuse me, the readers who would be reading this may not know the place by the new name. And so he refers to, here's this place that was also known as this place. And so we see that the author is aware of what's going on and the changes that are taking place and wants to make sure that the reader understands the areas that are being talked about. Verse 12 <clears throat> Caleb said, Whoever strikes down and captures Kiriath Sefer, I will give my daughter a cash, or excuse me, Aksa, to him as a wife. So Othaniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's youngest brother, captured it, and Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him as his wife. When she arrived, she persuaded Othaniel to ask her father for a field. As she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What do you want? She answered him, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the Negev, give me springs of water also. So Caleb gave her both the upper and lower springs. Now, here we see mention of Caleb. Now, Caleb is a, is a, is a prominent figure, at least in the, in the story of Joshua, and here again at the beginning of Judges, because, because Caleb was the faithful sky, who, uh, spy excuse me, who went back and gave a, a report to uh, Joshua about those people who were living in the land, and the other spies were afraid, but Caleb was not. He gave a favorable report to Joshua, and as a result of that, he is an important figure and someone who played a prominent role, and we see him mentioned here again, even at the beginning of Judges. Verse 16, the descendants of the Kenite, Moses, Moses' father-in-law, had gone up with the men of Judah from the city of Palms to the wilderness of Judah, which was in the Negev of Arad. They went to live among the people. Judah went with his brother, Simeon, struck the Canaanites who were living in Zaphath, and completely destroyed the town. So they named the town Hormah. Judah captured Gaza and its territory, Ashkelon and its territory, and Eklon, Ekron and its territory. So here we just see more of the same. They are going in and they are capturing these territories as they should be. God is with them. They have the strength to capture anybody uh, if they are obedient to God and trusting in Him. And they are going through and they are capturing all these different places. Now we've seen several places uh, listed here that they have captured. And so they are continuing on right where Joshua had left off. Even though Joshua had now gone, the Lord was still with His people and still desired for them to come into the land that He wanted to give them. Verse 19, the Lord was with Judah and enabled them to take possession of the hill country, but they could not drive out the people who were living in the valley because those people had iron chariots. Now, so far, so good. They were taking over all the land until uh, they came to uh, these other group that were in chariots. And it says that they could not overtake them because they had iron chariots. Now, I'm not sure exactly what we are to make of this verse. Now, uh, we know the power of the Lord. We've seen that and, 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 and uh, greatly in the Israelites so far as they've come out of Egypt and as they've come through the wilderness. We've seen God do many miracles. Uh, there is no reason to think that God could not have overthrown some iron chariots. If God can part a sea, and God can overtake enemies that are on iron chariots. Uh, so the fact that it says that they could not overtake them uh, leads me to believe that they, the reason they could not overtake them was not because of the lack of the Lord's power, but perhaps the lack of their faith, although the Scripture doesn't tell us that. 
It doesn't tell us why they were not able to overtake them. It doesn't tell us it was because of their lack of faith. It just says that they could not overtake them. I believe, though, had they had the faith, if that's what God desired, and it is what he desired, he wanted them to drive them out, uh, they would have been able to. So they were doing pretty good up until this point, but there was this group of people that had these iron chariots that they were not able to drive out for whatever reason. And in verse 20, Judah gave Hebron to Caleb, just as Moses had promised. Then Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak who lived there. Now, this land was supposed to be given to Caleb. And again, if you go back and read Joshua 13 and 14, you see this mentioned. Uh, this was the land that Caleb was supposed to get. Now, uh, I suppose we could say that this was Caleb's reward uh, for being obedient, for being faithful, for being strong and courageous in the Lord. And we see that Caleb is going to uh, get his land here. Now, this is a good introduction that kind of tells us what's taking place after Joshua died. But as we uh, begin to go through the book of Joshua, uh, excuse me, Judges, we need to look at where Israel has come from. We need to look at their path up to this point. Uh, we need to look at their complete history from the time that they were in Egypt to the time that they were delivered from Egypt to the time that they were in the wilderness to the time of the Judges. And if you go back and read, or if you remember through those stories, you will remember that they they kind of flip-flop. They were with God one moment, and they were uh, against God the next moment. They were faithful to Him one day. They were worshiping false gods the next day. They were, they were wishy-washy. They were back and forth. Now, God desired for them to have the land, and even through all that they had done, there were some who had suffered and paid the price that did not get to enter the promised land. But as a whole, as a nation, God had been faithful to bring them into the promised land, even in spite of their disobedience. But in spite of their disobedience, they were there, but they still missed the blessings that God wanted to give them. They could have had it so good in the promised land. But they began to go against what God had commanded them, as they had so many times before. And we see glimpses of that here with Judah. The fact that they asked Simeon when God had told them to go. Uh, the fact that, uh, that, that they uh, captured the king and brought him back to Jerusalem until, instead of killing him on the spot. There are these little things that they weren't quite doing everything God had commanded them. And Judah was of, one of the best of the bunch here. And as we begin to study through this book, we are going to see that there is much evil that was committed by God's people. Now, we want to hopefully learn from their mistakes and, and, and use this as a warning to us to say, are there similar situations in our life? Are there, are there things in our life, blessings that God wants to put on us, places he wants to put us in, things he wants us to do that he is going to bless us tremendously, places where we will be secure, places that will be filled with uh, flowing with milk and honey, so to speak, but are there things that we are missing? Now, it may be easy for us to see these uh, Israelites in the book of Judges and say, boy, they could have had it so much better if they would have just been obedient to God. Well, guess what? The same may be said of us too. Uh, we make it have it so much better. Things in our life may be much more peaceful and we may experience much more joy should we be obedient to the Lord. So as we read, let that be our prayer. Let that be what God does for us. That is, he shows us things maybe that are in our life that we don't see so that we can learn from their mistakes so that we can grow closer to him. Let's pray. God, we come to you tonight and we thank you for these words and I pray that you would help us to uh, just... Learn from your people, dear Lord, that we would be obedient to you, God, that you desire what's good for us. 
And God, that doesn't mean that you're always going to make everything perfect for us, but you do want to take care of us. And ultimately, God, your, your plan and your will is, what best, is what's best for us, and help us to see that, dear Lord. Uh, help us to be faithful to you. Uh, there may be times that we want to cut corners, just like Judah did the night, and just like uh, many of the others are going to do moving forward, dear Lord. But let us be those who are faithful to you. Let us be those who stand up for you and who trust in you even in the most difficult times. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.